0: Welcome to Rise Radio with counselor and prevention expert Randy Havison. Recovery in various forms is something that many of us face every day. Most of us need some sort of intervention to start the process of rebuilding and reconnecting our lives. This program serves to empower you to find new ways of solving old problems. Now, here is your host, Randy Havison.
1: Good morning, and welcome back to Rise Radio, or welcome for the first time. Uh, my name is Randy Havison, and I am your host for Rise Radio. And you know, I've been thinking about how to do this show because, unfortunately, this is going to be my last show for a little while, and um, this has been such an incredible experience. And, and I hope that you, our listeners, have learned more about yourselves and, and what's being done out in our world for... Uh, Survivors and victims of sexual assault and substance abuse and recovery and what's happening on college campuses. And, you know, my, my goal for this show was to bring a variety of people on who could share their experience, their wisdom, and really help to show that even one person can make a difference. And that's what my hope is here. So for those of you listening from around the world, I hope you've gotten something out of this. I'm hoping I'll be able to do this again in the future. But, you know, to be honest, things are getting so busy busy with party with a plan and my speaking business and everything that I have going on that it's just really difficult to keep all the you know, it's like juggling too many balls in the air and, and I don't want to let any of them drop. So you know, at some point I have to prioritize and unfortunately um, I'm going to be letting go of the radio show for a little while, but for those of you who still want to keep in touch and hear what's going on, you can go to partywithaplan.com and uh, shoot me an email, randy@partywithaplan.com. I'm also Randy at randyspeaks.com. so feel free to shoot me an email and, and we're going to have a newsletter and updates and, and you can keep track of everything that's going on and of course if, if you or a family member or a friend needs any assistance, more than happy to help with that too, to find resources in your area. So feel free to shoot me an email and and I'll help if I can. So today for our final show, I am really excited uh, to have our guest on today, Stephanie Lake. I've actually known Stephanie for about 20 years. So yeah, yeah, I knew her when she was 12, right? Yeah, 12, yeah, that's when it, yeah. So um, let me give you a brief intro and let you know who Stephanie is, and then we'll begin our conversation. Uh, Stephanie Lake is the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Other Drug Intervention Services Coordinator for UC Davis. That's University of California at Davis, in Davis, California. Stephanie has worked at UC Davis for 17 years. She received her bachelor's degree in education with a focus on substance abuse education from Northeastern University and her master's in education. With a focus on substance abuse counseling from the University of Massachusetts at Boston. Her role at UC Davis, did I say that right? Yeah. Boston. <laughs> yeah, okay. Her role at UC Davis is working with students to empower them to make healthy and responsible choices concerning the use of alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs. She conducts individual assessments, educational groups, relapse prevention counseling, and one-on-one smoking cessation. She is also the advisor to the Collegiate Recovery Student Group, Aggie Rise. Rise, huh? Why did I not (laughs) notice that before? That is so cool. Love this whole Rise concept. And Rise... Uh, at Davis is recover, inspire, support, and empower. Love that. That is so awesome. So, Steph, thank you so much for coming on. And, and I could not think of a better bookend for my show. I had Doug Everhart on for my first show, and you get to be on my last <laughs> show. So, this is really cool. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh,
2: you're very welcome. I'm happy yeah. to be
1: here. Yeah. So, you knew you wanted to get into this field. Back when you were even an undergrad, huh? Yes. Wow, how did that come about? What made you think, oh, I want to work in substance abuse?
2: Well, it's a really funny story. When I was 15, I went cross-country with my best friend, and her mom was just off. I never saw her actually take a drink, but she was just off, and I found out years later that today she's still an active bipolar alcoholic. Um, and I just never wanted anyone to have to go through what her, my best friend went through, what I went through on that trip. And then when I was a junior in college, I actually went to this training called the elephant in the living room. And I figured, Oh, it's going to be about, you know, family members. And it was, but it was about extended family members. And at that point was when I discovered that my grandfather had a major drinking problem and a lot of my extended family had drinking problems. Um, to the point of addictions, where my great aunt died of stomach cancer from addiction, my great uncle died from cancer, stomach cancer from addiction. So mm-hmm. it's it's rampant in my family. And mm-hmm. I worked with a variety of different um, populations at Northeastern, which I loved, and I really discovered my love for college students. So I have worked both at Northeastern, at Wentworth, both in Boston, and now here at Davis for seventeen years. And I just love working with this population because there's so much hope.
1: Mm-hmm. And isn't it great to watch when they the light goes off when they're still in college and they don't have to be doing road trips with their fifteen year old daughters and Yeah, I <laughs> Yeah. It's,
2: exactly. It's it's amazing. And the relapse rate I'm really fortunate about is probably about sixty percent don't relapse working with me, which mm-hmm. is ironic because the relapse weight in the community, in the country, is like 60% do relapse, so I kind wow. of have the reverse, and I think it's because we work really closely with our docs here, we work really closely with our psychiatrists, and the community, and just the counseling center here at Davis, and it's just a really great, what we call a medical home model, so they get a lot of support, and if they need to leave school to go into treatment for inpatient, we can help them medically withdraw um, we're here on the quarter system, so they can withdraw mm-hmm. for a quarter, and then they can come back. And now with the Aggie Rise group, they actually have a group of supportive students in recovery that they can come back to. And the next wow. thing we're working on is actually getting sober living here at Davis, and that's my <sighs> goal, hopefully, for next fall.
1: Really? Yes. Oh, that would be so amazing. Okay. Yes. now okay, but there, So, Steph. You know, I hear about this medical model and working together with all those different offices and hearing the success that you have, You know, but I got to tell you, in all my work in higher ed, this is probably the first time I've heard of a campus being this inclusive and this thorough with the services that they provide to students around this issue. I mean, have you heard of others being this thorough with it?
2: No, I we have ten UC system campuses, and as far mm-hmm. as I know, I'm the only one that's the intervention services coordinator. Which I feel really privileged about because that's sure. my degree. You know, I have a Katie, I'm a certified addiction treatment specialist. Um, I'm also a tobacco cessation specialist from the Mayo Clinic. So I have specific training in how to assess and how to do relapse prevention and how to do substance abuse counseling specifically. And I'm very clear that, like, I don't do eating disorders, and I don't mm-hmm. do a lot of the anxiety. Mm-hmm. Now, I work a lot with anxiety and depression because underneath the addiction sure. is usually anxiety, depression, bipolar, and at that point I'll work with the substance abuse area and I'll refer them to someone at our counseling services or someone in the community to do that more long-term work. And I'm also really fortunate that I don't have a session limit, and I'm free.
3: Oh, so the that... students
2: pay a fee to come to the university, and that's how my salary is paid for, is through that fee. So they can see me as long as they need to, for as many sessions as they need to. Um, and I also work with smoking cessation. I give a month free of either the nicotine patches, the nicotine gum, or the nicotine oh. lozenges. And then after that, we can prorate what they're paying here at the health center if they need longer than a month.
1: That's amazing. So Mm -hmm. have you done any research or anything to show that your retention rates are better, the problems on campus are lower? I mean, have you done anything to show the effectiveness of this model that you have there?
2: So basically, there's there's two things. One is What I use is called a brief alcohol screening and intervention tool that's basics. Mm -hmm. And what's fabulous about basics is it's an evidence based program, and 30 days after the student meets with me, they get a follow-up survey to say, hey, how is the meeting? What's been going on? So I do that. Then anecdotally, because I work at a college campus, I have the fortune of having an email, and I get all sorts of emails from students sometimes two to three years after they've graduated. As a matter of fact, I just got an email this morning saying, wow. Hey, I just wanted to let you know I passed the bar and I'm still sober oh. Or
3: oh. Hey, I just wanted
2: to let you know I'm at the University of Michigan on a ten year track and I'm still sober and it's been two years and I'm still having fun. And I think that's wow. the important thing is one of the things that I help the students realize is that they can have fun without the drugs and the alcohol.
1: Mhm. Exactly. And that's one of the hardest things. But, you know, I'm glad you touched on that. That's going to take us to a different topic and we'll come back. But, you know, alcohol or drugs and the brain, and one of the things that I talk about is how when you start using, it provides the brain with these uh, uh, artificial chemicals that the brain is used to be providing naturally. And then once the person stops using, the natural chemicals don't kick in for right. one to six months. So that's why people feel like, oh my God, I'm not using, but I'm depressed. But you know, have you found that that's the case? And how do you train them that, look, this is just a chemical thing in your brain. You will get over this. You can have fun sober. How, what do you do with it? How do you do that?
2: One of the first things that I do is I talk to them very early on in their recovery about finding something they'd like to do for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and just... You do that for that five to ten minutes when you would normally have the cravings to use and then they build on it Um, a prime example is i have a former student who actually has now got a year and a half clean and sober and he is his main drug was marijuana and he literally told me it took five months for him to really stop having the cravings. However, right now, he's in a band. He's just released his first CD. He's performing locally in his community. He's about to go national, and he said, you know, if it wasn't for me getting off the marijuana, I would still be sitting in my bedroom, all alone, smoking pot, and writing songs with the word, in the... Yeah. And now he's actually released five songs they're on YouTube it's amazing wow. um, and he's he said I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't gotten off the pod. but when yeah. they're in it they can't see that far out but it takes a good five to six months now mainly when I'm meeting with students I don't talk about the five to six months yeah. because in the moment they can't hear that so my job is to be like okay just for today
3: right. and some
2: of them really believe in the 12 steps and some of them don't mm-hmm. so my job as a counselor is to meet the students where they are at. I do a lot of motivational interviewing and a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy um, and a lot of just, you know, letting them know that there's, besides 12-step, there's also refuge recovery, which is a Buddhist practice. And students Mm. are really, really gravitating towards that a lot. So there's and then there's also our Aggie Rise program, which is the students in recovery. That's not a 12-step. It's really a peer support group for the students to meet other students that have gone through and are going through what they've gone through. And we meet every Friday at five o'clock up here in the health center. What's great is I'm not there. I'm their advisor. So mm-hmm. I'm there once a month to do the business meeting. But other than that, mm-hmm. they run their own group. So someone asked me the other day, "What do they talk about?" I'm like, "None of my business. It's confidential."
1: <laughs> Yeah. You know, and I how, many, how make... many students do you have in the group?
2: We have about six total right now that are really, um, that come every week. And then there's uh-huh. about 12 that are like in and out because nice. we don't, again, we're not mandating them to come. So I would say between six and 12.
1: And don't you notice this also that when students do get sober, all of a sudden they're busy, they're in class, they're studying, they're at the yes. library, they're in study groups, they're working. So, a lot of them is probably they don't have time it's amazing how much more productive they become
2: well and one of the things that i find interesting about davis students and i and i say this with the utmost respect for these students these students that i work with are brilliant
3: mm-hmm. i have
2: a student right now that is about to he entered treatment on monday when he left Davis, his grade point average was a 3.0, and that's low. Wow. Most students that are entering treatment, their grade point average is anywhere like a 3.5 or a 3.9. So wow. they're really doing well academically. And what I say to them is i think thinking how much better you'd be doing mm-hmm. if you're sober. And once they get sober, they're like, oh, my God, I had a student in here yesterday. He's like, Steph, I got my first A.
3: <laughs> I'm like, great. Yeah. He's
2: like because I studied, I'm like, what a concept.
3: Yeah. Yeah, you amazing know. And how I use that a works. lot of
2: sarcasm, in, and I've had students say to me that they like the fact that I'm not a huggy feel. I'm very huggy, touchy-feely, but I'm not like, "How are you feeling?" in the first six months of treatment either, because they don't have feelings really, right? And they're yep. really their dopamine levels are coming back, and when they do start feeling, their feelings are all over the place,
3: which mm-hmm. I talk
2: to them about. You're going to feel like really, really happy or really, really sad, but it will level out. They're like, "Oh, okay." So I make sure to let them know that beforehand so that they're not like, oh, my God, why am I crying? Because I dropped the tissue. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I remember
1: someone saying, oh, my God, I had the worst day. My painters come and they painted the garage door the wrong color of green. Oh, what am I going to do? I'm like, wow, how (laughs) great that that's your biggest problem today. But for people new in recovery, any little thing can just seem so exacerbated.
2: Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, God, you touched on so many things that I want to, I'm making notes here <laughs> furiously, keeping up with everything, but I want to get back to, you know, is there anything like research oriented written down on the effectiveness of your, cause I could see you having a model program that if you had things written on the success of your program, other campuses might be more willing to embrace this.
2: Well, we have our biannual report that comes out every two years. And as a matter of fact, I just submitted my annual report, you know, the biannual review two weeks ago to m- one of my colleagues. So that comes out every two years. And in that, it talks about the what the basic survey results have been. So it's definitely written on that. Nice. But as far and- as any other thing, I don't know of anything else
1: like retention rates or anything like that or more or less students leaving campus because they're getting help or
2: I don't, we've been working on that, but that hasn't been something that we've actually done yet.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know it would be difficult to even get those numbers, but if you could get something that shows, yeah. you know, oh, that would be so, because I think what you're doing there is, is so innovative and it needs to be on every campus. And especially I when agree. you're talking about, we work with our counseling center and our doctors and I'm thinking, oh my God, most campuses are still working in silos. Right. So to have that type of collaboration, that means everything to those students who really need help
2: right.
1: Yeah. And, and that no limit counseling, that was one of the things that really was frustrating for me. Yeah. Okay. The student has a, a alcohol issue, but you can see them for six sessions.
3: Exactly. What? It doesn't
1: work. No, no, not at all. So yeah, that's, you have a great setup there. And, you know, I hope that more work gets done to be, to show that this is uh, so powerful for the students and the campus as a whole. You know, it'd be great if the whole UC system would embrace this. That would be awesome.
3: Well,
2: I think where they're starting is with a collegiate recovery program
1: because
3: That's
2: true. every UC um, has a collegiate recovery program now, and mm-hmm. we actually have support from our office of the president. There is a collegiate recovery coming conference coming up on November twelfth and thirteenth down at Santa Cruz. Um, nice. That's just been opened up, and anyone can attend they're, if they're interested in it. And we got a lot of support from our Office of the President, which has been really, really helpful for that. And then yeah. we, as collegiate recovery advisors, meet weekly, I mean, meet quarterly with the other UCs. And we're actually going to be opening that up probably to the CSUs and other state colleges and private colleges as well.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. You know what? I want to talk more about that. We do need to take our first break here. Uh, but when we come back from the break, I want to talk a little bit more about you know, the UC system mandating all campuses to have a recovery program. You know, This is pretty innovative too. So I want to go into that a little bit more after okay. we come back from this really quick break. So uh, we'll be back talking to Steph and about college recovery and everything else when we get back live up to your fullest potential this is the voice america empowerment channel
0: randy havison is a highly sought after speaker trainer consultant and author his down-to-earth approach and mix of humor and insightful information make him a very effective presenter with topics such as alcohol education raising self-esteem leadership development and defining value systems havison has proven to be a pioneer in his field Randy is a welcome speaker on the international stage with a personality that exudes raw energy fueled with magnetic charisma and the relatability of a best friend. His book, Party with a Plan, The Guide to Low-Risk Drinking, was 15 years in the making. He has found a research-based formula that teaches people how to drink and lower their risk for problems. Party with a Plan goes beyond be responsible and drink moderately by offering specific guidelines for people who want to drink and avoid the common problems associated with drinking. Visit Randy's websites, risespeaker.com and partywithaplan.com for more information.
1: When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life? This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers,
3: the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
0: You are listening to Rise Radio. To reach Randy Havison or his guest today, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Randy at riseradioshow.com. Now, back to Rise Radio.
1: Welcome back. This is Randy Havison, and I am your host for Rise Radio here on the Empowerment Channel of Voice America Radio. And I we're in the middle of this amazing conversation. I want to continue this with uh, Stephanie Lake. She is the uh, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Other Drug Intervention Services Coordinator at UC Davis up in Davis, California. And we were just talking about uh, recovery programs on the UC campuses. Steph, when was that that the UC system said every campus needs to have a recovery program? How long ago was that?
2: They didn't say need to. They kind of really... um,
1: Highly suggested. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: It was about, I would I think it was two years ago.
1: Okay.
3: Um,
2: And most of us actually were very fortunate. I'm going to give a plug out to Transforming Youth Recovery Mm
3: -hmm. because
2: we all actually got a Transforming Youth Recovery grant for $10,000, which was amazing for most of us, including me, because if it wasn't for that additional $10,000, we wouldn't have been able to start this up, and my hope is you know, after we have one more year, well, we're in our second year of a three-year grant. And Mm -hmm. my hope is that next year, you know, it'll just continue. Um, We're in the process, actually, of looking for a couple of other grant opportunities to continue the program. The program's going to continue no matter what, but what's been great is it's really helped fund a student intern to work with me because this is only five percent of my job although i would love it to be ninety percent it's probably right now mm-hmm. my second favorite part of my job working with these students in recovery my favorite part is doing the assessment treatment mm-hmm. um, and but what is what's great is we've got also the support from the president's office to say you know we'll support you with conferences we'll support, which is what they're really supporting and they'll support us with meetings um, mm-hmm. You know, we went to Riverside for a meeting with all of the collegiate recovery advisors. We're gonna, we're prob- we're actually looking to host next year here at Davis.
1: Oh, nice! That's great. Yeah. And you know, just to let you know, we had uh, Daniel Fred from Transforming Youth Recovery mm-hmm. on the show a couple weeks ago, and he announced that they're about to release another round of grants. Oh. And they said that some of those are going to be for schools that have already received grants, but could use some more support. So you might want to contact them again.
2: I will contact Daniel.
1: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I know.
2: Actually, I have to give a plug out to Daniel, because if it wasn't for Daniel, I wouldn't be where I am as far as the collegiate recovery. I saw him present at a conference three years ago when he was up at Reno, and it was the first term I'd ever heard of a collegiate recovery group. And he and I talked a long time afterwards And he really got me inspired that it was a possibility to happen on this campus. So I always give a big plug out to Daniel because I'm always like, Daniel, we
3: did it!
1: (laughs) (laughs) And he's awesome. Oh, my God. Talk about an inspiring and an empowering young man. Oh, yeah. He's just, he's a powerhouse. I'm really excited to see what he's going to be doing in the future. But he, he has a great future there with transforming youth recovery because Stacy is an angel. And, and having him on her team now is, is what? I know. A, it's just so beautiful. I love the way this whole thing is happening. And I now, I mean, can you believe, you know, we've known each other all these years. How, when was the last time you heard a, a radio show devoted to collegiate recovery issues? I mean, it's now part of our, our conversation. It's so awesome.
2: It's great. It's it's amazing how far the field has come in 25 years, which is one of the reasons I'm still involved, because it's evolving, and it gets me excited. Like, every time I start to get a little burnt out, because people do get burnt out in this field,
3: mm-hmm. Oh yeah. something
2: else happens, and I'm like, oh, now this is something I can see my teeth into and get really rejuvenated um, and start working with them. And I have to say, you know, I love seeing these students in recovery and just where they're yeah. going and how passionate they are, and what they want to do and what they want to be. And so it's it's great because sometimes doing the other side of the counseling can get really depressing because relapse mm-hmm. is a part of it. Yeah. And this, when I'm working with the students in recovery, I mean, and I'm really fortunate that my main players have three and four and five years sobriety. Wow. Um, So they've got some really good, solid sobriety for when the new students come in to kind of mentor them.
1: That's so great. Great. And, you know, I I always go back to, you know, I got sober back in 1984 (laughs) and um, as a sixth-year junior at San Diego State University. And when I got sober, you know, I had all those same feelings. It's like, am I the only one on this campus who's sober? And had no idea where to go. I didn't even know they had a counseling center on campus. So, yes. today, for these students to be able to have that system to to hook into, I mean, what a beautiful thing. I can't even imagine what it would have been like if I had that kind of support in my early recovery. Right. It would have just made all the difference in the world. I wouldn't have felt so alone. Which so, is one of the
2: reasons I did that, because I heard that a lot. I'm the only one. I'm like, no, you're not. And it's the biggest frustration I find, too, is we know that there's more than six students on this. We've got 36,000 students here at Davis.
3: Mm -hmm. We
2: know there's more than 12 students in recovery. It's just getting them out there to know that we're existing and that their students are there for them and there's no judgment and there's no 12-step. It's just a place for students to come and be with other students in recovery. Um, yeah. So part of my challenge is to get it out there um, so students can know about us.
1: Exactly. And, you know, another thing that, that we fight against is the stigma. Yes. You know, I think a lot of students feel like if they come out and say, you know, I'm in recovery, people are going to think different about me. And do exactly. you find the stigmas alive and well there at Davis oh, yeah,
2: I mean, I remember when we first started this three years ago, there was one student who I really, really wish would have come out um Because he was in a fraternity and he had just done some great things, but he was like, nope, I just want to stay anonymous. And I'm like, okay, got it. That's what the whole anonymity is, is you get to choose how much of your anonymousness or your non-anonymousness. And he's like, I just can't be a part of it right now. I'm like, got it. Now, he was out That he was in recovery with his brothers, but he just didn't want to be out out with everyone else. And I was like, I get it. Um, it's one of the reasons I'm really trying at some point to show. I have the video, of The Anonymous People, and mm-hmm. I really want to show it. And we're thinking of doing it maybe in the spring quarter
3: with oh, a great panel, idea. just
2: to really talk about, you know, basically coming out of the closet from addiction.
3: Yeah.
2: Um And it's a great movie. So we've been to- we just haven't had a time to do it. Um, so I'm thinking maybe this spring quarter we'll be able to do it.
1: Yeah, maybe before spring break.
3: Yeah.
1: And uh, if you need someone to be on your panel, things that make you go, hmm. but you know what I just thought about because I'm very vocal about my recovery, you mm-hmm. know, both from my addiction, from my ADD. I mean the whole thing, it's like, you know, that doesn't define me. It's just a part of who I am. Right. And, and I, I want, people to know that you know it's okay to talk about this because when you finally do talk about that talk about it then you find the support. You know, I remember my parents when I first got into recovery, they didn't want people to know cuz you know they thought oh what are people going to think of us and we don't want to embarrass Randy, but when I was like, "No, tell people." It was amazing how many other people started coming to them saying, "Hey, you know what? My son and my nephew yeah. and my and, and now all of a sudden, they became a beacon, and my phone started ringing more, hey, do you mind talking to this person because they have a son who... So it's it's freeing, actually, to actually talk about it rather than keeping all that inside.
2: Well, as you and I both know, you know we've been doing this work a long time, and I say this to my students on a regular basis. I have been doing this work for 25 years, and I've never met anyone who can do it by themselves. Yep. And it's so, that's the one thing I say, and the other thing I talk about is baby steps. You know, Um, I do not expect you to walk into my office after using for however long you've used, and in a day, feel better. You know, it's about baby steps, and it's about possibility of relapsing. And when a student relapses, I am always like, please get in here, because you're going to beat yourself up so so much more than I ever could. And they're always like, well, why? I'm like, because if I sat there and said, you're bad, 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 what are you going to do? They're like, well, I'm going to walk out of your office. I'm like, exactly. So I don't need to tell you you're bad because you've already thought that you're bad and you're horrible and you're a worthless piece of crap. I'm not Mm going to tell you that. I'm going to give you tools so that this doesn't happen again. And we're going to talk about what you learned while you were sober. And they're like, oh. yeah." So my job is to get them back in and to talk about the fact that it's about baby steps. Yep, And it's about, we as a society need other people to connect with. Mm-hmm. And being a, and, you know, when you're in your addiction, it can be really, really lonely. I've had a lot of students say, Steph, I'm with 20 or 30 people in a room, and I am yep. so alone. I'm like, I got yep. it. I get it.
1: Mm-hmm. But you don't have
2: to be alone anymore when you're sober.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when you can get into that family aspect of it and, and support each other, that's when the recovery truly happens.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. So, okay, you touched on something earlier, and I want to get back to this, because you were talking about that student who is in recovery from marijuana addiction. Yes. Let's talk, can we talk about marijuana a little bit?
2: Let's. It's my favorite
1: subject to talk oh, about. Oh <laughs> my God. We t- and especially here in California with the oh, new, yeah. you know, Im- could you I I I cringe. I just every time I hear, and it's probably gonna pass here. I know. And it, uh, so let's talk about this a little bit. Maybe we can take this snippet and make it an educational thing that that I can put on websites and all that. Sure. But let's talk about marijuana because one of the things that we find, and you've seen these studies too that show that the amount of use of any drug correlates with the perceived risk of using that drug. So, And we watch it go up and down over the years. You know, heroin, cocaine, marijuana, whatever it is, we see that when perceived risk is high, use is low. When perceived risk is low, use is high. And we're finding... Over the last few years, the perceived risk of using marijuana has pretty much plummeted. People, you know, even eighth graders, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's no big deal. I know a lot of people it's who are just using compliant. Yeah, and, and I hear people say things like, you know, it's just weed. It, it's safer than alcohol. It's not addictive. So you're an expert in the field. So, you know, I'm always on the soapbox here on this show, but, you know, our listeners can hear it from someone other than me. <laughs> so, um, so let's talk about marijuana. Number one, is it addictive?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And,
1: and why do you reasons- say that?
2: It is addictive, is because two things. One is the THC levels have gotten astronomically high. When I was in college, it was like three to five percent. Now it's anywhere from eleven to thirty-seven percent. Um, and then if you're doing the dabs or the wax which is where they've taken the oil out and they've used a butane torch to cook it and they use a propane torch to heat it up. That's anywhere from 70 to 90% THC. So your poor little brain is like, I can't handle this. Um, And so it's much more addictive. And what happens is it's more physically addictive, where in the past it was just mentally addictive. And I've had students that will sit here and, protest till they die that like when they were coming off of marijuana they were literally having physical withdrawals of sweating of not being able to sleep of having cravings of being agitated of not being able to concentrate um and it lasted anywhere from seven to 14 days so this is a physical withdrawal that they are having because the marijuana is so much higher in potency now
1: Now, let me ask you this, though, because here's one of the things that I find with a lot of people who are talking about this. Hey, I gave it up for two weeks, and I didn't experience any withdrawal. So the thing about marijuana
2: that I love and I hate is it's it's very sporadic. For some people, they immediately start to feel the withdrawal effects. For other people, it can take up to two to three weeks before you start to effectively start to feel the effects because marijuana builds up in your system. So the whole idea that it takes 30 days to leave your system is actually a myth. It's about two weeks before it actually leaves your system completely. So what that means is for some people, they don't actually start feeling the effects for two weeks. But most right. of the people that I've worked with, and this is both males and females, have said they start to feel it pretty quickly after they've stopped using it.
1: Now, these are usually people who are daily, multiple yeah. times a day users. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, oh I'm sure the withdrawal happens pretty quickly. But, you know, one of the things that I've always heard with marijuana being a fat-soluble drug, the withdrawal can take longer to start to happen so someone yes. might be able to quit for a week and say hey I quit for a week see I'm fine but yet well, the withdrawal is that- not going to start for you know 10 more days maybe.
2: Yeah exactly and I actually heard of a study where a, stu- um, a woman went through gastric bypass surgery and mm-hmm. like four years after she'd stopped smoking because she was losing so much weight it was actually stored in her fat she felt like she was getting high again. Wow. And that huh. to me is like tremendously. I'm like, wow, that's pretty amazing. But it can yeah. happen. Um, it's very. It's one of the most interesting drugs to work with too, because you know, with alcohol, it's really clear. And I always say, and you actually taught me this more than anyone else. You know, marijuana and alcohol are apples and oranges. So when people are like, yeah. oh, but it's safer. It's like, but wait a minute. When you get hot, when you take a hit off of a joint, you are immediately high. Right. Where if yeah. someone takes a sip off of an alcohol, you're not immediately drunk. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the same. And I tell the students all the time, you're not taking, it's different drugs. And well, like, here's,
1: here's oh. the way that I explain it. When people say marijuana is safer than alcohol, what they're doing is they're comparing marijuana use with alcohol abuse. Right, right. So, you know, in that analogy, it's like saying, well, marijuana is safer than Tylenol because I can smoke a joint and not die, but I can eat a bottle of Tylenol and I could die. Right. So it just doesn't make sense. But if you take use with use, alcohol is far safer than than marijuana because you can have a beer and not become impaired, but you can't have a joint. The only reason you use a joint is to become impaired. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a myth and, and needs to be dispelled.
2: Yep, and I do it yeah. all the time.
1: Yeah, and, and I don't know about you, but when, you know, people, I don't know how many times this happens to you, I, on an airplane in a hotel lobby, no matter where I am, all of a sudden we're talking about drugs and alcohol and addiction and all that. Oh, yeah. And My
2: friends actually say to me, stop being the freaking counselor. And just be." I'm like, sorry, it's just who I am it's a part of my DNA I am passionate yeah. about it so I start talking about it
1: <laughs> Exactly yeah and and the conversation comes up and people ask me all the time what's the most dangerous drug out there and without any hesitation I say marijuana Yep Yeah I mean do you agree with that too Absolutely we actually yeah.
2: one of my dear friends John Daly who runs a treatment program here in Sacramento in California, not just Sac. He's got one in Sac and in Davis and in Walnut Creek. talks about, he has a new talk about marijuana is a new heroin. And what he talks about is the system has failed us. Where it was kind of like what you were talking about, where for the longest time, like heroin was so bad and heroin was so bad. And now everyone's talking about marijuana. Well, it, heroin and heroin and heroin and marijuana and marijuana and marijuana are all drugs. And we as a society yes. need to start saying that. A drug is a drug is a drug. It doesn't matter right. whether it's, it's heroin or marijuana. And actually, I'm on day two of no sugar. Sugar's a drug. Oh,
3: you know? good for you. And yeah, that's really hard. It's really
2: important that we start realizing that even if it's an, a legal drug or an illegal drug, it can still affect people.
1: Absolutely. You know what? I want to. We definitely are going to talk about this more. I was just notified we need to take our our second break. Okay. Um, but yeah, we are going to talk more about this. Um, absolutely. So we'll get through these this break really quickly and get back to it. So we will be right back to you with Stephanie Lake and Rise Radio right after this brief message. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: Randy Havison is a highly sought-after speaker, trainer, consultant, and author. His down-to-earth approach and mix of humor and insightful information make him a very effective presenter. With topics such as alcohol education, raising self-esteem, leadership development, and defining value systems, Havison has proven to be a pioneer in his field. Randy is a welcome speaker on the international stage, with a personality that exudes raw energy fueled with magnetic charisma and the relatability of a best friend. His book, Party With a Plan, The Guide to Low-Risk Drinking, was 15 years in the making. He has found a research-based formula that teaches people how to drink and lower their risk for problems. Party With a Plan goes beyond be responsible and drink moderately by offering specific guidelines for people who want to drink and avoid the common problems associated with drinking. Visit Randy's websites, risespeaker.com and partywithaplan.com for more information.
2: Most of us have experienced the loss of a loved one, be it a friend or family member. There are all kinds of questions and emotional pain that we go through, but you can move on. Listen for From Morning to Morning with Rabbi Mel Glazer. It doesn't matter what faith you are or if you even
1: have no faith. You are sure to find meaning in Rabbi Mel's words and personal experience as well as that of his guests. From Morning to Morning airs live
2: every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America
0: Empowerment.
3: Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate change succeed
0: you are listening to rise radio to reach randy habison or his guest today call in to 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 you may also send an email to randy at rise now back to rise radio
1: Welcome back. I'm your host, Randy Havison, and this is Rise Radio, and actually the last show for a while for Rise Radio. That's, God, that's so sad to say that, but oh, I can only do too many things. There are so many hours in a day, and cloning's not legal, but my wife would probably have a real tough time if anyone talked about cloning me. So uh, we're well, there's just one of me, and that's the way it's going to be, and I only have so much time. So, I, I, I'm going to miss doing this show, but again, for the listeners out there, if I can ever be a support or if you want to keep in touch with what's going on with party with a plan or rise and and what we're up to next, I'm even thinking I might do another podcast in the future, or I, I definitely would love to come back back to voice America. These people have been awesome. So, uh, definitely keep in touch with Randy at RandySpeaks.com, Randy at RiceSpeaker.com, PartyWithAplan.com. We got a lot of places you can find me. So, uh, feel free to to, uh, go to one of those places and let me know how I can be of service or to just keep in touch with how you can help in your community or with your family and with your friends. So, let's come back to Stephanie Lake, who is our guest today. She is the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Other Drug Intervention Services Coordinator. Man, that's a long title. They say a totus here. <laughs> the
2: what? They call me a totus.
1: A totus. Oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah. You need a t-shirt that says a totus. <laughs> I like that. So, okay, before the break, we were talking about marijuana. Yeah. And, you know, and we were talking about the myths that are out there and the perception of low risk, but, you know, we're dispelling that now, you know, marijuana being uh, what I consider to be the most dangerous drug out there because of that perceived risk. And now here in California and in some other states, we it's on the ballot now for the legal recreational use of marijuana. Um, and it just scares me to death that this is going to pass and more for my daughter than for anybody else, right. um, but also for me, being on the road. I mean, you know, you have a breathalyzer to test someone if they've been drinking, but, you know, we have not come up with a way yet to test someone for marijuana. Right. So, you know, it, it just scares me to death, but, you know, as an expert in the field, what do you think about this legalization thing? You would ask me this.
2: Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I... I'm going to be really honest. I am extremely torn, and the reason I'm torn is the way it's written. I would love marijuana to go from a Schedule 1 to a Schedule 2 so that we can start doing some research.
1: You know what? I totally agree with you. I do
2: think there are some absolute medical reasons that marijuana works. CBD Mm -hmm. has been amazing as far as helping with seizure disorders
3: and
2: other types of heart problems. But what scares me is that's not what this bill is about. This bill is about the recreational use of marijuana. And that scares me for what you just said because there is so much misinformation and there is so much idea of, well, it's not, it's, you know, it's not as bad as alcohol and when I smoke I just kind of sit here and get really introspective. Well, that's all well and good, but you also end up with the amotivational syndrome, which is huge. Mm-hmm.
3: You also are yep. killing
2: brain cells every time you inhale because of the carbon dioxide that you're inhaling. And mm-hmm. like I said before, the THC levels are so much higher that people are getting addicted. For the first time ever in my known lifestyle, and I mean lifetime, Marijuana has just surpassed alcohol as the number one inpatient treatment referral reasoning to go in.
1: Really? I did not know that. Yes. Wow. So,
2: again, and the problem is for a lot of insurance companies, because it's Mm. just marijuana, they're still not taking it. So when someone goes in, as a matter of fact, the student that went into treatment on Monday, his drug of choice is marijuana. And he sat in my office last Friday almost in tears, saying, I just can't stop. I'm using Adderall now because I'm smoking all the time, and it's just a mess. So he's going in, well, they're going to have to put him in as the Adderall because his insurance wouldn't just take the marijuana.
1: So my hope
2: is that more and more insurances will start recognizing marijuana as a drug, and take mm-hmm. it because it is a drug, you know, it's a very potent drug, and as you said, it's really dangerous. And I think the reason it's so dangerous is because it's kind of like the sheep in the wolf in sheep's clothing. You know, everyone thinks, oh, it's not that big of a deal, and they, it pounces, and it just gets you addicted.
1: Yep. yeah. And, and it can happen really quickly, too, especially for adolescents, young adults. You know, that old saying, that the younger you start using, the quicker you can become addicted. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah, so it's it's really important for people to be aware of all the different facets of this. But you know, you mentioned doing the research, and I'm in total agreement. You know, I, I think that there are some medicinal uses for marijuana, but until it's rescheduled, we're right. not going to be able to do the research. So you know, it's it's kind of mind boggling that it's still a Schedule One, yet there are states that would consider legalizing it for recreational use. I mean, right. it's just such an oxymoron how this drug is talked about. I mean, even yeah. the way it's classified, you know, you have alcohol as a depressant and heroin as an opiate and cocaine as a stimulant, but marijuana is cannabis.
2: <laughs> it's all—it's an all-arounder.
1: Yeah, exactly. Some it's, exactly. A, number, some it's
2: it, a downer and some it's hallucinogenic.
1: Yep, yep. So, and again, this is a reason to justify more research, but I think we're doing cart before the horse with legalizing it before we fully understand the benefits of the drug.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So, I'm sorry, I was supposed to lead you to answer that question rather than just say, but I get so passionate about this. (laughs) And, you know, I... And, you know, for recreational, you know, if you listen to the people in Colorado and Washington, and yeah, you hear the pro marijuana people talk about how many dollars have come into the state and how much it's helped there. But I remember Jason Kilmer speaking at a conference, and he said that in the state of Washington, the largest new population of marijuana users is eighth graders. And that is. That That just really scares me, you know, because again, you know, would you agree that accessibility breeds higher rates of use?
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah. So we legalize and all of a sudden there's a pot shop. Now the eighth graders are getting a hold of it from mom, dad, big brother, cousin, whoever. So yeah, it's, it's, I think this is going to be an oops. And unfortunately we've learned in our history, once you open that door, uh, it's really hard to close it again. Right. Yeah. So, oh, we'll see so what I happens on Tuesday. You. Hmm.
2: I said I have a question for you.
1: Oh, really? Okay. Yes.
2: So, since so this <laughs> is your last show, which we're all very yeah. sad about, what yeah. is next for you, Mr. Randy?
1: Uh, you Where do know, you
2: go. Th- what do you want to
1: do? Well, it it's actually what I'm already doing that's taking up so much time. You know, I'm okay. in the process right now of finishing up the party with a plan app so Ooh. that people can plan their party before they go out at night keeping themselves safer and that's taken up some time. I'm also doing a online video training program That's going to train uh, new professionals in higher education and actually veterans in higher education on substance abuse issues. And we're wrapping up that training. I'm also speaking all over the place. I'm wrapping up the final edits for Party with a Plan, the holiday edition. Um, God, what else am I doing? There's there's so much I can't even keep track of it all. So it's just so much – Oh, so busy. I, and it's, I, you know, I find myself wanting to work at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night and I just need to, you know, not work that hard because I believe in work hard, play harder. And I need to walk my walk and not just talk my talk. And yes. with everything going on, you know, something had to go. And and this radio show, you know, is not just about the one hour of being on the air. You know, it's getting the guests ready and doing the e-cards and then the follow-up. And, you know, it's probably four hours, six hours of work for every show. And, you know, it, it just – it's been too difficult. And I'm really going to miss this. But – you know, with everything else going on, it's just too – mm-hmm. I just can't do it all. Got it. So I, I would burn myself out, and I don't want to do that because there are too many exciting things going on. I agree. So, but thanks for asking. You're welcome. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, for me, I, I feel like my life is a gift. And – I've been given so many amazing things over the past 32 years since I've been in recovery. And I just want to find ways to make a difference in other people's lives and and help them out. And, you know, this has been one of the ways. Oh, I'm also supposed to say that I'm also on Twitter. And people can follow me at Party With A Plan or hashtag Party With with A Plan. And uh, Facebook at Party With A Plan as well. So people can find me there. See, Lisa's gonna be very happy. She's a marketing person who's helping me out. She said, You gotta mention your Twitter when you're on your radio show. You never mention Twitter. So Lisa, yes. I mentioned Twitter. yay, finally last show, last few minutes, I'm mentioning Twitter hey, finally. It's
2: baby so, steps, Randy. Good. Baby steps.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, I know. So okay, Staff. So we have covered Oh, a lot of topics. And I could talk about the marijuana again. Uh, We have just a few minutes left before we need to end this. But Mm -hmm. what are some of the, for the listeners out there who are from anywhere, you know, we get listeners from India, the UK, Australia. I think I had one from Jordan last week, a couple from Israel. We get them from all over the world. Wow. And who might be thinking, yeah, but I'm only one person and I'm here in this country or I'm in this city. What can I do? So what are your thoughts on what the individual person listening to this who wants to do something, they want the support, what can they do? Are you saying
2: like they want to get something going as far as a program or just what can they do with their friends?
1: Yeah, Let's they just, just want to help. They want to find a way to, to help with addiction or with sexual violence or with anything it is. Mm-hmm. They just want to help and make a difference. Can that one person make a difference?
2: Absolutely. I mean... One of the biggest things they can do is figure out what it takes if they want to become a counselor to do that, if they want to just volunteer to treatment program. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I have a tickle in my throat. Um, uh-huh. Or even just kind of reaching out to help their friends. They can learn how to do interventions. That's one of the other things that I do on the side. Mm. Um, nice. And it's really just about figuring out what it is that you want to do, and going forward and finding the resources. So maybe it's even, you know, if they're a person in recovery themselves, it's going to a meeting and being like, hey, I'm willing to sponsor somebody. Or, mm-hmm. hey, can I just tell my – sometimes it's just even giving back, so maybe it's becoming, um, you know, the person that does the coffee at meetings, um, starting mm-hmm. small and then building up. And it's I do think it's important, yeah, you're one person, but reach out to other people to get support because you're one person. Can, you know, I was one person. I am still one person here at Davis. I'm mm-hmm. the only one that specializes in substance abuse. However, what I've done is I went to my boss and I said, hey, we really need to, co- to hire other counselors that have a subspecialty. And so that's what we're starting to do now. It's taking time. But my hope is by the time, you know, in a couple years, we'll have at least one other. There's one counselor right now that has a subspecialty, but my hope is within the next year, there'll be at least one other counselor that has a specialty. So I would just say just keep working things through and just talk to people. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing when you let people know what you're passionate about, as you mentioned. My phone Mm -hmm. rings off the hook now.
1: Yeah, because people, yeah, and I mean, like, at home a, as well as in the office, right?
2: Right. I'm talking like I had yeah. a friend the other day whose daughter needed treatment. She called me. I'm like, oh, here's a couple numbers. Call this because I've made connections within the treatment world of who I think is good and who I would refer to. And so I referred my and I actually got a call from them. Oh, you know, so and so is now in treatment. What do you want as far as updates? I don't need updates. This was a friend. This was not a client.
1: Yeah. So, and you know what so so you know we we have about 30 seconds left for the show but um so I guess you know the message is just find any way to reach out and yeah. and one person can make a difference.
3: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So Steph I cannot thank you enough for for being on the show today. This has been awesome. I hope that it's been good information for those of you who are listening. And for those of you I'm feeling a little sad right now. <laughs> I'm wrapping up this uh, segment of of rise radio because it has been an honor to be able to do this and to have this as a medium to get out the message of all the positive things that are happening out there because i think in our world we hear the negative too much and we need to be reminded of the positive that yes there's there's some there's some thorns but don't forget that the rose smells so beautiful when you get to that part of it So my hope for you, the listener, is that you keep trudging your road and and you find your happiness and your ways to healing uh, from whatever you're in recovery from and finding that way to intervene on yourself or or to others, uh, getting the support from family, friends and professionals and to remain teachable and that education to to learn new solutions to old problems. And I wish you all the best in your lives and hopefully i will see you again here feel free to send feedback to voice america radio on what you think of this show or this series rise radio or write to me would love to hear from you and uh for the final time for a while i am signing off this is randy havison with rise radio and i wish you all the best goodbye
0: Thank you for tuning in to Rise Radio. Please join your host, Randy Havison, again next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until our next show, have a great week.